All right, great. Luke chapter 8, four, uh, verse 41. We're going to be uh, ending the series today about holiness from the heart, and we're going to be talking about how Jesus is a catalyst. His presence is a catalyst in our life when Jesus is placed at the center of all we are and all we do. How many of you know if, if Jesus is not at the center, then he's not Lord? So, so, so to make Jesus Lord of your life, he's got to be at the center of your life. Not, not just making Jesus first, okay, that's a good thing. Uh, but if he's just first, there can be a close second. We want Jesus at the center. So all that we do surrounds Jesus. And in the process of him being at the center of our lives, he begins to, through his spirit, change us. That's called sanctification. But he changes us by being at the center of our lives. The good news is, is that you and I, we don't have to change ourselves. Jesus changes us. It's our relationship with him and his nature placed at the center of our lives that becomes a catalyst for change throughout our lives. We become more and more like the nature of Jesus when he's placed at the center. And I want to tell you a story this morning. We're going to go back to that story that we had been talking about last week in Capernaum. Capernaum, if you were to go there today, is probably not the size you probably have it in your imagination. Been there, done that, did not get the t-shirt. They did have t-shirts there. Uh, did not get the t-shirt, but Capernaum is a very small town in the way we would measure towns today. I want you to see that when it starts to talk about how Jesus is approached by this man by the name of Jairus, who is the leader of the synagogue, we're, we're going to look at a town that probably would be from here to, let's say, Domino's Pizza, to the church uh, across the street, maybe over to the college. That's it. That's it. And the synagogue was the largest building in that town. If Peter were to step outside of his house and go to the synagogue, it would be just like 10 steps. They know where Peter's house is, and they've actually, the Catholics have built a, a beautiful building there. I'm sure Peter didn't live in that size of a building, but anyway, uh, if Peter were to actually leave his house, it would just be 10 steps to go to the synagogue. My wife and I and some friends have actually stood in that synagogue, and it's a beautiful place. They've got most of it put back together again. But the interesting thing is, you can actually just walk maybe 30 or 40 steps farther and maybe to the extent of where Main Street is right now, and you'd see the Sea of Galilee. So when Jesus, when the Bible says Jesus came in a boat and went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, got out of the boat, and started walking into Capernaum, just understand it's just a few steps. Now when it says that there's a crowd that throngs him, understand how packed it must have been. How desperate people must have been. That as soon as he gets off the boat, right, people are thronging him, climbing over themselves to try to get to him. I think I know what this looks like. Uh, um, I had two experiences, one in Los Angeles at the opening of a brand new movie, not going to say the name, and I can remember waiting in Los Angeles to see who was going to star in that film. And there were pr probably 10, 20, 30,000 people packed in. And how, how many of you love just being that close? Get a little closer. Don't be shy. 
you know, I don't like that at all. But I stood, I stood there for two hours just to see an actor. How ridiculous. Isn't that just, I mean, what a goober. But I did it because I'm like, I'm here. I might as well see some actors. And you know who I seen? I seen Tom Hanks. Yeah, I really did. You know who else I seen? Even better actor than Tom Hanks, in my opinion, Keanu Reeves, man. And I kept calling out his name. Keanu, Keanu, it's Glenn. It's, it's your friend Glenn. Would you, <laughs> would you believe he never even turned towards me once? There wasn't any interest in me at all. He's a nice guy, by the way. I think he gives away, everybody gets a motorcycle. You get a motorcycle, you get a motorcycle. Everybody gets a motorcycle. Kind of like Oprah gives out cars. But anyway, I was like, Keanu, and he did nothing. Another time, I was in New York. I was in New York when the Pope came to New York. And my wife had a lovely idea. She said, let's go see the Pope, right? So we, we went downtown New York. We, we, we left our, our apartment and our little place that we rented, and we went to go see the Pope. How many of you know I didn't get within three miles of this guy? But I wanted to. I wanted to be as close to him as I possibly could. There were people climbing up the sides of buildings. Police officers were coming in, pulling for safety, pulling people off of buildings just because they wanted to get a glimpse of him. I want you to see these are big places, but Capernaum was so much smaller. And yet people are thronging to get to Jesus. And there was a reason. Only Jesus is Jesus. Only Jesus is that cool. In fact, I think Jesus, in some respects, is like the Kool-Aid man. You, don't you remember the old commercials? You don't know what Kool-Aid is. Okay, many of you, you didn't grow up like I did, but when, when Kool-Aid was made, it was on. Right? And I remember the commercials. You're having a birthday party. You have all your friends seated at the table. Come on, you're with me now. Right? And somebody says, hey, Kool-Aid. Oh, yeah. Crash a bang a boom with a break. bright smile and a fun taste, too. Oh, yeah. And he would bust through the wall, and the wall would be destroyed. And he would come and, and like, pour out Kool-Aid for everybody, right? That's cool, isn't it? You know, <laughs> you know what's cool about Jesus? Jesus came to people. He wasn't expecting everybody to just come to him. In fact, you are saved today because Jesus came to you. Jesus came into your packed, crowded life full of depression, pain, suffering, anxiety, worry, despair. He came into that packed, crowded world called your mind, your heart, and said, oh yeah. He broke down the walls of what it took to get to you. Amen. He was climbing the walls to get to you. And that humbles me. It humbles me when I recognize how much he loves me. That he has been trying to get to me. And he did get to me. He got me. He found me. I didn't find him. He found me. He broke through the walls in the crowd and he got to where the need was. How would you and I do it? I don't know. Because if I would have just gotten off of a boat, 
come into this small town. I realize that there's the leader of the synagogue. He's coming. They're saying his daughter is sick. And the crowds are thronging just to get to him. And somehow, Jesus hears this man, Jairus. We're going to get to him in just a moment. His name is important. His life is important. So is yours. So is yours. Here's the, the interesting thing. Along the way, someone else stops him too. And in the process of Jesus being stopped, this woman who is unclean with an issue of blood approaches from behind. We talked last week what that meant. You can only approach God in the Old Testament from behind. You could only see his backside. She reaches out and grabs a hold of his talith, his prayer shawl, with the knots. We talked about what the knots meant, everything else. The Pharisees had extended theirs because they wanted to show people just how righteous they were, but there was only one righteous, and that's Jesus. And this woman reached out in her unclean position and grabbed a hold of the righteousness of God and was instantly healed. And Jesus, being touched by everybody else, being thronged by everyone else, stopped his world and turned around and said, who touched me? The disciples are like, are you serious? Are you serious, Clark? Come on, Smalls. Who touched you? Everybody's touching you. No, somebody really touched me. Somebody really grabbed a hold of me. Someone really got close. Someone made me the center of their despair. Someone made me the center of their depression. Someone made me the center of their illness. And I felt the power go out of me. This woman in an unclean state with an issue of blood for 12 years needed Jesus. And think about this. When the issue of blood happened in the same season, a little girl was born. And a little girl that was born was born to a man by the name of Jairus. And 12 years later, she is sick. The woman with the issue of blood going 12 years. The little girl is now 12 years old. And now because Jesus has been touched, and because Jesus has hit the pause button and turned around, she dies. She's no longer just sick. She dies. And now you get the background of where we're going to be this morning. Watch this, Luke 8, 41. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. Pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, in all of our lives, something has died. In all of our lives, God, something will die. In all of our lives, God, something or someone we love is sick. God, help us to recognize this morning, all we need is Jesus. That God, if we will come in contact, even in our pain, even in God our suffering, even in our unclean state, if we'll just come in contact with you, whatever looks dark, and even darker, God will be changed. You're a catalyst of light. We give you the praise. We give you the thanks, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the ways that holiness works is we're going to learn right here. We're going to learn it right here. The name Jarius, interestingly enough, his name means to shine. 
His name means to shine. His name means to shine forth like the light of the world. Do you know that's the way heaven sees you? Jesus said you, and he gave you a, a name, not just a designation or a mission. He gave you a name. You are the light of the world. You are Jairus. You are God's leader of the synagogue here on earth right now. You are, not somebody else. Stop thinking it's, well, it's you, Pastor. Stop thinking it's, well, it's the guest speaker. Stop thinking it's our missionaries. Stop thinking it's everybody. It's you. It's you. You are the light of the world. Interestingly enough, though, before Jesus told his disciples and his followers, you are the light of the world, the first thing he told them was, come, follow, I will make. When we think about holiness... We must understand that Hebrews chapter 12 tells us, without holiness, no man will see God. We need holiness. But how do we get there? If we're Jairus, we might have something sick. We might have something dying. We might have something in our lives that needs to change. What is needed in our life is to invite Jesus to our home. What is needed in our life is to find Jesus. When there is something dying... Here's a little secret, right? Find Jesus. Find Jesus. Jairus and his wisdom knew, even being the leader of the synagogue, representation of God and God's word to that entire city. That's who was the man until Jesus showed up. He was the light of Capernaum, and yet the light had gone out. And there will be a time in your life where the wind will blow hard enough and the storms will blow in hard enough where you will begin to feel the flame and your heart go out. When you start feeling burnt out, come on, find Jesus. Find Jesus. Hold on to Jesus. This man, this man had spiritual wisdom. He knew that for Capernaum to have the light, for the synagogue to have the light, for Israel to have the light, He's going to need the way, the truth, and the life. He's going to need the light of the world. He's going to need Jesus. How close are you to Jesus? Not, not, it doesn't matter how close you are to me. You won't get to heaven and say, I know Glenn Hammonds. It, really, he's, he, he's kind of goofy, but I put up with him for a while. God, you know. The question will be, do you know my son, and does my son know you? I don't know why you come to church or what you, what you think about connecting with church, but the, the question is not whether or not you know this person or that person. The, the question is, is how close you are to Jesus. Have you found Jesus? And has Jesus found you? Think about this. Jesus said, come, follow me. Was he being redundant? Come and follow sound like redundant terms. Follow does not mean come. Come means to just come like you did this morning. God bless you. We have scratch and sniffs at the door. Little awards for you. No, no, seriously, you, you know church today has gotten crazy. Oh, you came this morning. Here's a $50 gift certificate to go get fat somewhere. Because you came. Jesus didn't say just come. He said follow. What does follow mean? It means imitate me. It means don't just come. It means imitate. Do what I do. 
be like me. Jarius needed to be like Jesus. And there was something in his home that he couldn't be a light to. And so he needed Jesus. And Jesus was the one that was able to bring the light back. Unfortunately, though, circumstances and life happens. And what happened was, along the way, a woman had touched Jesus. And this woman that had touched Jesus hit the pause button just long enough, <laughs> just long enough for this little girl to die. I'm going to hit the pause button right there. And I just want to tell you one more thing, one more thing about Jarius. Jarius, light shining forth. Jarius somehow found the faith to not be consumed with the circumstance, but to still follow the Spirit. And where does the Spirit always lead? Back to Jesus. How do you know you're following the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit will always lead you back to Jesus. Don't you just love that name? Don't you just love him? Don't you just love him? Oh, man, I love him. I think he's awesome. I think, I, I just, I love Jesus. You want to know why I love Jesus? The Spirit creates that in me. I want to be like him. I want to be with him. I want to hang out with him. He's better than the Kool-Aid man. He is Jesus. Now, what had happened, though, <laughs> what had happened was a word began to come from the crowd. Don't bother the teacher. Don't bother the teacher. She's already dead. In other words, give up hope, Jarius. Give up hope. God has hit the pause button, and he doesn't need to come to your home now. And, and I, I just, I want, to speak, I want to speak very honestly here to you. I don't have this prepared. This isn't a note thing. This isn't an outline thing. I just want to be completely honest with you. More than once in my 35 years of walking with Christ, more than once I've come to a place where I began to give up hope. Now you might be, you might be, you may have never had that happen to you, but I doubt it. Because you ain't God. And I'm not either. More than once in my life, circumstances has caused me to just cave in, to look inward, not out. More than once in my life, I've, become, I've come to a place to where I've, I began to lose hope in what God could do in my family and in my heart. I'm just being honest with you. You need to be honest with you. More than once. And it's really what happens during that moment that's the, that's the moment that counts. Are you going to listen to the narrative that comes from circumstances in life and what surrounds you? Or are you going to go, wait a minute, I'm with Jesus. Wait, wait a minute, I've got Jesus. I don't know who I'm preaching to this morning. Is there anybody alive this morning? I'm just going to say, you know, I'm going to be a little bit, <laughs> a little bit emotional here for a second, okay? You ready? You ready? Put on your seatbelt. You're with Jesus. What? Last week we talked about turn your eyes on Jesus. Jarius is still with Jesus, but he's still hearing a report and a narrative that don't look good. What was bad is now worse. And that's what the devil does, man. When you're the closest to Jesus... When you're 
Jairus had never been closer. He was bowing right before Jesus. And here comes somebody with this. <laughs> Don't bother the teacher. I love, I love how they say teacher. He's the king of kings, man. It's not just teacher. Don't bother the teacher anymore. It's, Jesus doesn't, doesn't only teach, by the way. He is the resurrection in the life. Oh, oh, okay? Okay? And so here's this moment where he's bowing before Jesus, and somebody comes along and goes, just give up. Just give, just give up. I don't know what, what dream you've had. I don't know what words you've had from the Lord. I don't know what thing you have been doing with your life that you want to give to God and his kingdom. But if you feel like the pause button has been hit, just look at Jesus. Look at him and look to him. Don't listen to what's being said. Some people are going to come along and they're going to say, ah, it's no use. Give it up. You're too old. You're too chunky. You're a chunky monkey. You know, you don't have enough time. That ship has sailed. That'll never happen. Used to be on Winnie the Pooh. There used to be this, uh, I think it was Eeyore. It'll never work, Pooh. These, (laughs) don't. Yeah, don't bother. It never were. You know, the name of the show is Winnie the Pooh, not Eeyore. Okay? You know, what, what, what you got to do is you got to, there's always going to be a Debbie Downer. Always. Full time Debbie Downers. Always. You've got to decide whose report you're going to believe. Are you with Jesus? Are you listening to Jesus? He's still there. In fact, my Bible says that he's close to the brokenhearted. Who's God close to? The brokenhearted. And so you've never been closer to God than if you've been brokenhearted. He still is on the way to your need. Just because there's been a pause button doesn't mean God won't do what he said, church. Somebody give him some praise today. Come on. So you're going to have to dispel fear. And we're going to kind of close with that idea here in just a second. You're going to have to dispel some things from your life. Uh, is, is fear a, a big deal to holiness? Yes. You wouldn't think. You, you wouldn't think that fear is a sin. Fear is. A certain form of fear is a sin. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Amen. Right? You have to dispel fear. You, 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 you cannot walk in fear. Let me give you different words, because we don't use that word anymore today. Anxiety. Okay? Worry. Depression. You're going to have to show those kids the door. And I'm not saying you're going to immediately change and have all kinds of feelings to confirm what God by faith in his word has said. You're just going to have to believe God because you're with Jesus. And he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And that's what God, God in his word has said. You're going to have to hold on when God hits the pause button. He's still getting to your house. I, I want to remind you, uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. God is headed to your house. Every day you wake up, every day you go to sleep, he's headed to your house. Every moment of every day, he's saying this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. That was not written to unbelievers. 
I've heard every evangelistic crusade you could think of, and the guy stands up there and says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And he's talking because he wants an altar call for people to come and give their lives to the Lord for the first time. That is not written to unbelievers. That was written to believers. Jesus is saying, I'm coming to your house, and you don't have the door open. I'm coming to that problem, that pain, that issue, that circumstance, and the door is closed. You are the one that's got to let the door come open. You've you got to do that. You've got to say, Jesus, come into this situation. And he says, I'm going to sit at a table with you. And I'm, the word sup is there. That's what, yeah, supper. <laughs> you know, I love it. God's like, I'm going to sit down with you. We're going to have a relationship. You know, you know what they did when they ate supper that way with a guest? They celebrated. God is going to come in. You know what else the Bible says? The uh, Psalms, the 23rd Psalm says, God prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Where is God's table where he wants to be with you and bless you and have a celebration with you? In the presence of people who, who want to destroy you. And you think, God doesn't want me blessed. Oh, yes, he does. God says, here, sit down, relax, rest. I got this. But do you have the door open, Jarius? Is the door open to every part of your heart? You know, is every no crucified? Or are there still some areas where you just say, you know, God, you can have this, but not that. God, I'm going to hold on to that. We know what happens. This woman with the issue of blood comes. She touches Jesus. Last week, quick reference to last week. She touches Jesus. She had no business being in Capernaum or touching the rabbi. She is unclean. That makes him unclean. Unless you're Jesus. And last week we talked about it. Two scriptures in Exodus, one in Numbers. It says that if you touch the altar, the brazen altar, you're holy. And we talked about how Jesus is the altar. And if you touch the sin, off sin offering, it says you're holy. Come on. And Jesus was the sin offering. And, and, and then the other scripture that talks about that the showbread, if, you're, if you come close and touch the showbread, you're made holy. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. You see, Jesus is the only one can, that can be touched with your pain, your brokenness, your infirmities. It was okay for her to touch him. But she did not go to seminary to know that. And she didn't even ask permission. <laughs> you remember, oh, oh, Mr. Cotta, Arnold Horshack. Can I have permission? She didn't ask permission. She just reached out and grabbed. And Jesus didn't turn around and go, you can't do that. The power flowed out of Jesus. And it stunned him. That's another sermon. Yeah. But he turns. It went out so fast that in his, in his God in a bod form, he had to ask who touched him. God is so willing that is immediately, when you reach out and just grab it, God gives it. Yeah. It's not like God goes, no, 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 you didn't touch me the way I wanted you to. He's not like some people, you know. It's like, you know, the flaming hoop for Fifi to jump through is about 30 feet high, you know, and they got high expectations on everything. 
you know? Yeah. He's like, you touched me in faith. And the power went out and healed her. <laughs> and that's when the devil showed up. That's when they said in Luke 8, 49, while Jesus was still speaking. Who was speaking? While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, said to him, your daughter's dead. Don't trouble the teacher. Can I just tell you, while Jesus is speaking into your life, the devil wants to speak too. The devil wants to speak too. <laughs> and here's what Jesus says. Luke 8, 50. When Jesus heard that, he said to him, don't be afraid, only believe, she will be made well. That's, just, that's a simple, that's all you and I need to do. We don't need to, we don't need to be the answer. Jesus is the answer. All we've got to do is not be afraid and believe. Yes. Not be afraid and believe. And you say, well, fear's no big deal. Let me tell you how big a deal fear is. Revelation 21.8. Fear is mentioned with sexual immorality, sorcery, idolatry, lying, and murdering. But for the fearful, unbelieving, abominable, murders, fornicators, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, their part shall be in the lake that burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Did you see, did you see that? Let me tell you how big a deal fear is. If you let a spirit of fear rule in your body... You cannot become holy. You're going the route of the murderer. You're going the route. You're going the route of the unbeliever. I, I, I'm not telling you that there aren't moments in your life where you're just like, huh, this has really got me. I need to go to the Lord. That's the point. Right. But if you don't go to the Lord with it and you don't give it to God and you don't let Jesus be Lord, you keep fear on the throne of your heart you're not only going to miss the miracle, but you're also going to miss heaven. Yeah. Now, you're not going to hear that from a psychiatrist. And counseling's good when it's coming from the Word of God. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, whatever is not of faith is fear. And in that moment, he hears a story. Jesus heads to the house anyway. He says, don't be afraid. I'm going to wrap it up here. Don't be afraid. Only believe. Mm, 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 mm. He gets to the house. Here's what the scriptures say. Here's what the scriptures say. You ready to have some fun? Because some of you are going to go, oh, no way. That couldn't be how it works. And how many of you know just about everything we think in the natural, how things work, in the supernatural, it's opposite. Okay. So, so Jesus shows up to the house, and he only takes in three. He doesn't take in all 12. He only takes in three. Can I give you their names? You know them, don't you? Peter, James, and John. You know their Greek names. In Hebrew, their names tell another story. Now, this is where we're going to get into, you're going to have to ask God. But I see something in Scripture that God tells me that His grace and His love and His mighty power trumps every moment that I've fallen short. You see, if you look at their names, they're listed in that way. Peter, James, and John. Peter is Cephas, the rock. Moses, Ten Commandments, the law. Stay with me. James, 
His name in Hebrew is Jacob, Jacob. You know his name by the Greek name, James. Jacob in Hebrew means supplanter or replaced. The law replaced John. Well, I know John. His name means John. <laughs> in Hebrew, John sounds a little different. It's Yahanan. Yah, Yahweh, Hanan, grace. We have a Dr. Hanan in the house. There she is. We love you, Dr. Hanan. If you add Yah, Hanan, you have Yah, or God, is graceful. And now there's a story. The law is replaced with grace. I want to remind you. And you're like, I don't care that it means that. I don't care that you don't care. Yeah. <laughs> don't care. I want to remind you. She's dead. If we're going to go by the law, they can't come into the dead person's house. You think, oh, oh, now I might, I don't know what to do with what he's telling me now. Well, let me tell you what to do. Jesus came into a place where there was a dead person. And there was a, there was a, a, a remedy by the law in order to do that. Guys had to dress a certain way. They had to cover themselves from head to toe. They had to come in. They carried, they would cover her up, wrap her up. They would carry the dead body out of the tent. And then they would not be able to come around people for seven days. What in the world is Jesus doing taking three guys? Let's go in and get the dead person. Because he is the fulfillment of the law. <laughs> um, hey, hey, all of you self-righteous folk, how's that working for you? Have you ever been able to make yourself holy by beating your head against the wall, trying to keep every little rule? Let me remind you, there's 613 rules that are on the tassels of this talith. And they would wear, the Jewish man would wear it every day to remind himself, every little law, every little law, every little law. You know what happens when you go, every little law, you start breaking more laws. No? Well, you do. You know what happens when you live by grace and you live by God's power to keep his law through you? You become more righteous. I don't know how it's working for you, but the more I know Jesus and the more his spirit works in me, the more I become like Jesus, like a catalyst. When it's placed in the middle of something, the way a catalyst works is it brings change to that something. It speeds up the chemical reaction without the catalyst itself changing. You see, Jesus never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And once he's placed at the center of your life, you change. That's the gospel, man. But you got to make him Lord, not just Savior. You got to put him at the center. You got to invite him to the birthday party and let him crash through your wall. Yeah, they go in. What goes out? Something's got to go out. You know who goes out? Luke 8 52. Now all wept and mourned for her. Don't believe it. This is not legitimate mourning. 
No, I mean, this morning is legit. I mean, morning. <laughs> this is not legitimate morning. Don't, don't believe it. Don't believe everybody that goes, hey. Don't believe it. They all wept and mourned for her. But he said, don't weep. She is not dead, only sleeping. Watch what they do. They ridiculed him. They ridiculed him. Knowing she was dead. So what did Jesus do? He showed him the door. Gave him the left foot of fellowship. Out the door. Can I just have five seconds? Stay with me here. You can't bring Jesus in to your mess and accept his message and expect the mess to stay too. Things are going to leave your life. These were professional mourners. They were called moriologists. You can look it up. It exists. At that time, they were paid professional mourners. Look it up. Go ahead, take your phone out. Because some of y'all are going to email me anyway. They were paid professional mourners. You know what they were paid to do? Mourn. There was nothing. They were doing it for the money. If Jesus raises her from the dead, they don't get paid, church. Oh. They don't get paid. There is a whole system right now that exists to keep you depressed. I think you came here for the truth. I, I do. I'm looking at you. There's a whole system, pharmaceutical, and oh, I could go on and on and on and on, that exists to keep you in the state of where you're at. When Jesus said, he that knows the truth, the truth shall make them free and the devil don't want you free man he's got all kinds of professional people to stay in your life i'm not against i'm not against doctors and i'm not against good teachers and i'm not against no 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 no. i'm i'm really not against good chefs i i I, i'm really not against i'm i love all that okay okay But listen, here's the deal. Here's the deal. If you're getting paid to be fake and keep me in a dead state, I don't need you. There are things in your life, in your heart, in your soul, in your mind, they have to go. You cannot keep waking up every day and say, I'm a depressed person. If you want Jesus and you want the joy of the Lord, you're going to have to show it the door. Not only do you open the door, but somebody else has got to be told to leave. (laughs) She's only sleeping. We can clearly see she's dead. Well, thanks, Sherlock. (laughs) But the resurrection's here. The life is here. Jesus didn't argue with him. He didn't get in a debate with him. And I would encourage you not to either. You don't have time for that. You don't have time for that. Jesus just sent him out. <laughs> you know, you can, you can tell people to leave. You can tell the enemy to leave. You can tell that system in your life, that thought system, that process in your heart to leave. You know you can. 
You don't need anybody but Jesus to tell it to go. And it will, it will have to go. Sometimes you got to open the door a little harder. There's been a few people that have come over to my house over the years that I've been like, this door is swinging open for you to leave. <laughs> Only a few, not you. I love you. <laughs> but there's been a few. And you know you have the authority to do that in Christ. Depression in the United States among Christians, 29%. 29%. Almost the full 30% of Christians. Born again. Now, Jarius, how are you going to be a light with that? Watch this. We're number one in the world. Number one in the world for illicit drugs. And not just the illegal kind. We're talking about over-the-counter stuff. Everybody's taking something for something. And some of that stuff you need. And some of that stuff you need to show the door. The United States consumes more illicit drugs than any other country in the world. Approximately 6% of the people in the United States use illegal drugs. We have the biggest prison systems in the world, and yet we have more finances, more resources than anybody else in the world. Um, maybe what you need to show the door is more. Less is more. And show more the door. You say, do I really need everything in my life? No, you don't. You don't need... You don't need to look at nine screens a day. Go, go an entire day without looking at a screen, and you might just find the joy of the Lord again. Amen. Go on a little bit of a fast from that stuff. See what happens. we got bigger houses, smaller families, more conveniences, less time. More degrees, less sense, more knowledge, less judgment, more experts, more problems. More medicines, but less healthiness. We've all been to the moon and back, right? Well, in our minds, our imagination. We've been to the moon and back, but crossing the street to even talk to our neighbor is a chore. We built more computers to hold more information, to produce more copies than ever, but we have less communication. We don't need more. We just need Jesus. So he says to the little girl, and this is the finality here. He says to the little girl, it's an idiomatic phrase. Um, in Luke and in Mark, you're going to see uh, the phrase, uh, little girl rise uh, in Hebrew. Uh, this would be uh, 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 Talitha Kume. Talitha would be little girl, little lamb. Kume would be rice. Um, Aramaic, though, a little bit different. Um, Aramaic, Talitha is very close to Talith. I didn't bring it with me today, but imagine this. He still has the prayer shawl. He still has the prayer closet. The one that the woman with the issue of blood grabbed and touched. And imagine now, he, he, he's bending down, and the prayer shawl is coming down too. And he grabs the little girl's hand, and here comes the talith. And this time, someone isn't touching him. This time, he's touching someone. And in this moment, he's saying, little girl, under my righteousness, rise. Not under hers. Remember, she's dead. There wasn't anything that got you saved. And there won't be anything that you do that keeps you saved it's everything he does all you need all you need is more of him come closer to him it's all in your proximity it's all in your closeness to christ don't live your life surrounded by circumstances 
Live your life surrounded by the Spirit of Christ, and it will change. Would you stand with me right now as the worship team comes, and would you rise? I, I want to I ask, uh, ask very boldly, if I could, are, are you distant from Jesus? Because that's the problem. I know, I know there's other problems. I, listen, I know there's other problems. Say, Pastor, I, I, you know, I, I got a car bill right now. I've got this, this you know. And if, I, I feel like God has hit pause. You know? I mean, it was working. It was work- God was headed my way, and I was in touch with Christ, and I felt like the need was going to get met, but, but, but uh, for some reason, everything's on pause. There's, there's a severe delay of game here, and, and I, I don't know what's happening. I'm in between. Can I tell you that's not the problem? Can I tell you your only problem is how far you are from Jesus?